Good. Well, let's pray together. And let's ask God to meet us in, in the Word. Lord, here's this last Sunday as we're moving towards Christmas, last Advent Sunday, um, before the, the celebration this week of your birth. And I pray that you would take these scriptures that we're looking at and that they wouldn't just be words on a page or ideas in our minds, but that you, by the work of your Spirit, would help us to see and feel the truth of the Old Testament prophecies and of Jesus' fulfillment of them, and that those who are already trusting you would be deeply strengthened in their faith, and those who are not yet trusting you would be moved more towards trusting you. Come and do that, Lord, in a mighty way now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 2,000 years ago, in the little town of Bethlehem, God was born as a baby. Stunning to think about. The God who has always been with no beginning, the God who created the entire universe, that level of power and authority, God, 2,000 years ago, was born as a baby. God became a man. And for these past weeks here at Mercy Hill, we've been asking the question, why? Why would God become a man? And we saw a couple weeks ago from Philippians chapter 2 that he became a man in order to humble himself, take on flesh so that he could die on the cross for our sins. We saw two weeks ago that he became a man so that we could see his glory in flesh and blood with our own eyes, have it written in history. And he became a man, we saw last week, so that our sins could be punished in his flesh, so they wouldn't need to be punished in us, so that if we're trusting Jesus, we can be completely forgiven and reconciled to God. So that's what we've seen in terms of why God became a man. But now, this morning, some of you might be thinking, why should I believe that? Is there any good reason to believe that? Interesting ideas, interesting concepts. Why should I believe that? Is there any real evidence that it actually happened that way? And the answer is there's there's tons of evidence. There's overwhelming evidence that that happened exactly as the Bible teaches. And what I want to do this morning is give you one of many, one just one piece of the evidence that is so powerful. And my, my longing is that God will use his word. Some of you are deeply worried about next year for whatever reason. Others of you are feeling very guilty because of something that you have done in the past. Others of you are feeling very far from God spiritually. And my longing is that those of you who are already trusting Christ would be strengthened in your faith in Jesus the Messiah so that you know he loves you, he cares for you, his promises are good, they're true, the future looks good in him. So you can be strengthened in your faith. Every one of you here this morning who are already trusting Christ, to be strengthened in trusting him. So you leave here stronger in your faith. And I'm praying that those of you who are not yet trusting Christ will leave here closer, closer. And maybe the, maybe the nickel will even drop. And uh, this morning will be the morning when you put your trust in Christ. We long for that. Nothing more important than trusting Jesus Christ. So, 
The evidence I want to show you this morning is this, that the way God became man was, or the way God became man fulfilled dozens of prophecies that were given in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, we have historical documents that everyone, every scholar agrees, they were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Old Testament, we have documents written hundreds of years before Christ. And those documents contain prophecies about the birth of the Messiah, how he would be born, where he would be born, and what he would do. And hundreds of years after those prophecies were given in those documents, hundreds of years later, they were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Prophecy spoken hundreds of years before, fulfillment in Christ hundreds of years later. That's what I want to show you this morning. Now to see this, let's turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll start there. You can look at a lot of scriptures this morning. You want to raise your hand if you don't have a Bible, because we're going to have you thumbing through the Bible a lot this morning. So raise your hand. If you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1, which is page 939 in the Bibles we're passing out. 939 in the Bibles we're passing out. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start here with, to see what Paul says in verses 1 through 4 of Romans chapter 1. And I want us to focus on one question. There's lots of truth in these four verses. I want to focus on one question, and that is, where did the gospel, the good news about Jesus, come from? Was it just something that Jesus thought up? Was it just something that his followers came up with? Or, had it been talked about hundreds of years before Christ, had God actually taught it, starting all the way back in the book of Genesis, all through the Old Testament. To see Paul's answer, look at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, God, promised Beforehand, Notice the gospel of God was promised by God beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So the gospel of God about his son was promised by God beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So where did the gospel about Jesus God's Son come from? God had promised it beforehand, as verse 2 says, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures is referring to the Old Testament. Books written hundreds of years before Christ was born by prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Micah. And these prophets said that the day would come in the future. The day would come in the future when God would be born on the earth as a baby. Born on earth as a baby, the long-awaited Messiah would come and that he would die in our place to purchase forgiveness of sins for us so we could be completely forgiven, loved by God, reconciled to God through what he would do. So I hope you see from Romans 1, 1 through 4, that the gospel about Jesus is not a brand new idea that Jesus came up with 
or that his followers came up with, but it's got the, 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 the ring of antiquity behind it. From the book of Genesis, all the way back from the very beginning, God had spoken of what he would do in sending his Messiah, Jesus, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. So with that in mind, let's raise this next question. Where in the Old Testament do we find these prophecies? I can't cover all of them this morning, but I want to give you some of the most significant ones. And I hope that this might whet your appetite so you are launched into an exploration on your own of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Jesus. But let's just look at a couple. Start with Isaiah chapter 7. So this is page 572, the book of Isaiah, big book, kind of towards the middle of your, of your Bible. Book of Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah was a prophet who wrote this book called Isaiah 700 years before Christ was born. 700 years before he was born, he writes these words. Look at Isaiah chapter 7. Are you all there? Okay, it's page 572 in the Bibles we passed out. Isaiah 7 verse 14. And look at what Isaiah says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you, he's talking to the people of Israel, a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is Hebrew for God with us. You might think a virgin will conceive. It does not happen. And you're right. But think about it. God created the universe. God has the power to make everything. I mean, look at, think about how big the universe is, how much authority and wisdom and power he has. If God could do that, he could easily, supernaturally, miraculously cause a virgin to conceive. Not a problem. He is not worried about how that could happen. He can totally do that. It doesn't happen every day, obviously, but it happened here. He prophesied. And this would obviously be a sign to God's people that something supernatural was going on. God was doing something special. This is a sign that God would give Israel that something unusual was happening here. Now, with that in mind, look ahead then to chapter 9 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. This is page 573, just next page over in the Bibles we passed out. Look at verses 6 and 7. Isaiah is continuing to talk about this baby that would be born of a virgin. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Okay, so this baby born of a virgin will be a boy, will be a son. Okay? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He'll have authority, he'll be king. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What he teaches will be wonderful, so helpful for us. So his name will be Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God. This baby. His son born will be fully God, God in the flesh. His name will be called Everlasting Father. He'll be like this, the perfect father to us, loving us, guiding us, caring for us. And he will be the Prince of Peace. When we trust him, we'll be able to have total peace no matter what's going on. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom, so he'll be a king in the line of David, another prophecy there, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now again, understand, these words were written 700 years before Christ was born. Now just put that into perspective. What that would mean was, if we were reading these words in the year 2000 A.D., those words would have been written back 1300 A.D. This is before our country was founded. That's before the Reformation took place in the 1500s. That's before the Renaissance took place. These were written like in 1300 AD, and we're reading them now in 2000. That's if you go from the birth of Jesus back 700 years. That's how long a period this was. This is a long time before Jesus was born. These words were written. 700 years before Christ. 700 BC. And so 700 years before Christ was born. Long, long, long time. Here's what Isaiah prophesies. In the future, a baby boy will be born of a virgin. He will be fully God. He'll be born as a king in the line of David. And now, turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Let's keep going through Isaiah here. Page 575, just over to the right there. Now here, Isaiah continues talking about this baby boy. And look at what he prophesies about this baby boy in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, every person in Israel would have known Jesse, that's David's father. King David's father was Jesse. So there will be born someone in the line of Jesse, is what he's saying, and a branch from Jesse's roots will bear fruit. So here's the prophecy about someone being born in the line of Jesse. And now skip down to verse 10 and look at an astonishing statement he makes about him. In that day, the root of Jesse, read that whole passage on your own sometime, very powerful prophecies there, but verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, notice that plural, peoples, of him shall the nations, plural, inquire, and his, this boy's, resting place shall be glorious. Now that, I wanted to point that prophecy out to you because that means that the Messiah, born of a virgin, who'd be fully God, who'd be in the line of David, a king in the line of David, is not just coming for Israel. The nations, the peoples, will be inquiring of him. He'll be a signal for them. So his coming was not just for the nation of Israel. It was for them. It was for them. But it was for all the peoples, all the nations, all the races. That's all of us, okay? So he'll bring salvation to all the peoples. And then turn to Isaiah chapter 53. This is page 614, again to the right. How will he bring salvation to all the peoples? We've sinned against God. How will he bring us salvation? Isaiah 53 verses 4, 5, and 6. It's a shocking passage about the Messiah, but it's the best news in the world for us. Surely, verse 4, he has borne our griefs. Isaiah is still talking about this baby. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is obviously when when the Messiah had been born and was grown up. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And afflicted. Why was he smitten by God? He's the Messiah. Why was he afflicted? Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, our sins. 
He was crushed for our iniquities, our wrongdoing. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace and forgiveness. And with his stripes, that is with the the whipping that tore his back with stripes, part of the crucifixion, we are healed. Our souls are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. So verse 6 is our problem. We've all been like sheep. We have all turned away from God and sinned. And because God is perfectly holy, perfectly just, every sin has to be punished. But God loves us. God cares about us. God has compassion for us. God looks down upon us and knows our sin must be punished. So he came up with a way that every one of our sins would be punished, but not in us. How did he do that? By sending the Messiah and by punishing the Messiah for our sins in our place. So for those who put their trust in the Messiah, all their sins are punished in the Messiah. And they can be healed. They can have peace. So let's add this prophecy to our list. He will be punished in our place for our sins. That's Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. So all these prophecies I've just gone over with you are from the book of Isaiah. But Isaiah is not the only one who gives these prophecies. I hope you will, like I said, get launched onto an exploration to study all these passages in the Old Testament. They're given throughout the Old Testament scriptures. But let me show you one more that adds a crucial piece to the puzzle. Turn to the book of Micah. Book of Micah, chapter 5. That's page 779. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. One of the smaller prophetic books towards the end of the Old Testament. Micah, chapter 5. This prophecy was written around 750 B.C., so even 50 years before Isaiah wrote. And look at what God says through Micah. It's astonishing. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Bethlehem is a little tiny village about five miles south of Jerusalem. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, this little relatively insignificant little village, okay? Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, this is God speaking, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, okay? So here we learn that a future ruler is going to be coming, the Messiah, all through the Old Testament, this Messiah. And his going forth was planned from ancient days, from way back. It's not just some brand new thing. God had planned this, really from eternity past. And notice where he'll be born. Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Now I want to show you. Can we put the map up? Here we go. Uh, so look at, this is Israel. Look at all the different cities that are in Israel. See, all, look at all that we got. We got Chorazin, we got Bethsaida, Genesaret, Nine, Peliah, I can't even pronounce these places, Sychar, Antipatris, Arimathea, okay? And 
here is Jerusalem right there, and here is Bethlehem right there about five miles south. All those different cities in Israel, and Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in one of them, Bethlehem. It's a little, tiny, insignificant town. 750 years before the birth of Jesus. Prophesy that he'd be born in Bethlehem. So here's what we've seen prophesied in the Old Testament. A baby boy will be born of a virgin, and now we can add, in Bethlehem. Pretty specific here. He'll be fully God. He'll be born as a king in the line of David. That's his genealogical lineage. He will bring salvation to all the peoples and he'll be punished in our place for our sins. So next question. Did Jesus fulfill these prophecies? Let's take a look. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew was a wealthy tax collector. By the way, Matthew 1, page 807 in the Bibles we passed out. So Matthew was a wealthy tax collector who became a follower of Jesus, became one of Jesus' apostles, and he wrote the Gospel of Matthew to help us understand who Jesus was and is for us. And look at what he says in the very beginning, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. And then in verses 2 through 17, he gives a detailed genealogy. Here's the line starting all the way back. He got through Abraham. That's important. He was in the line of Abraham, so he was Jewish. Okay, that was one of God's people, Jewish people in the Old Testament. But not just son of Abraham. He was the son of David. He was born in the lineage, in the line of David. Now jump down to verse 18. And let's read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed, that means engaged, to Joseph, before they came together, sexually as husband and wife, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, because at that point he didn't know that it was from the Holy Spirit. He thought she'd been unfaithful to him. Verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we see here Jesus, born of a virgin. I'll come back to that in a moment. But notice that last phrase. You shall call his name Jesus. Just like Chris said this morning, Jesus means God saves, okay? He will save his people from their sins. And Jesus, as he taught, he explained that he would go to the cross. He would suffer on the cross as payment for our sins. He would be punished in our place on the cross. Jesus was sinless, and he took upon himself our sins so we could have our sin be punished in him. So Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. He will be punished in our place for our sins. The angel says that right there. Keep reading in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
And now, uh, Isaiah's quoted. We've already read it. Here's the prophecy, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not sexually until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Okay, so Jesus was a baby born of a virgin. So he's not just fully man, he's also fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully man, fully God. And he was also, because fully God, God with us, just like the prophecy had said. Okay, now there's still three more prophecies, though. Where was he born? Would he be king? And would he bring salvation to all the peoples? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in where? Bethlehem. Okay? That little town. It's not there anymore. But that little town south of Jerusalem. Out of all those different cities, villages, towns he could have been born in. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So these wise men were not Jewish. Okay? They were Gentiles. All right? They were not part of God's Jewish people. They were from other people groups. And so these wise men came saying, where is he who has been born, what? King of the Jews. So they knew. They knew that this baby born was King of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Just like Isaiah said, the nations seek him. Here it's happening right before our eyes. The wise men travel. They see the star. They come. And so this clearly shows that while Jesus did come for the people of Israel, which he did, he didn't come just for the people of Israel. He came for, for, to save people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And that's illustrated right here with the, the coming of the wise men. So here's what we've got, looking through just Matthew. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The Old Testament prophesied that he would be a king in the line of David. Jesus was a king in the line of David. The Old Testament prophesied that he would bring salvation to all peoples. Jesus brought salvation to all the peoples. These were written 700 years before Jesus was born, and Jesus Christ fulfilled all of them. 700, 750 years earlier, fulfilled. Powerful evidence for the truth of Christianity right here. Now, let's just pause at this point and see if there's any questions. Any questions? It's like, how does that work? Or, yeah, but what about this? Or, any questions? I want to make sure we're clear before we move into some application. And in fact, while we're Phil, could you come up? Let's, I don't know what other band members you want because we're gonna we're gonna close by just singing, "Oh, come, let us adore Him." But but let's just let's get questions out. What what questions? Seven hundred years before Christ was born, prophecies about His birth. This is an astonishing that that just doesn't hit. people don't know the future. God knows the future, and so God gave those prophecies. So the question is, if he was just, why didn't he call for her death? His desire to not disgrace her 
was the motivation. So Matthew tells us his motivation here. Justice would do this. He didn't want to disgrace her, so he decided to do that. So I, and that doesn't really answer it entirely. Just let it happen. Let, let the marriage take place. Yeah. And I'm not sure if, if, um, if her sexual involvement would have been adultery. I'm not sure if betrothal uh, meant that sexual involvement with somebody to whom you weren't betrothed would, was considered adultery in the Old Testament. Does anybody know that question? And the question I'm going to look at is, was uh, unfaithfulness to your betrothed considered adultery or not? And of course, we know what Jesus did. Um, and it describes in John chapter 8 where a woman was caught in adultery and he said, let him who cast the first, who has without sin cast the first stone. But Yeah, I think, in other words, I think you're, you're right, Nicole. The word fornication covers that and that's, less serious because you haven't, I mean, you're betrothed, but you're not married yet, so it wouldn't be considered adultery. That I've got a sneaky suspicion. That may be the answer, Christian. It's clear that Joseph did the right thing, right? No doubt about that from the story. Angel said, relax, Joseph. Yeah. That's true. That's exactly what happened. So, yeah. Thank you. Angel helped him out there, that quandary. Thank you, Lord. It's a really good question. Shall I catch that? So if all these prophecies are in the Old Testament, how come so many of the Jewish people did not respond when Jesus came? And um, first of all, many did. Okay, we've got Zacharias and Elizabeth, for example. In the book of Luke, they had been reading the Old Testament scriptures. They were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They were hoping in the coming of the Messiah. And when he came, they knew that it was the Messiah. So there were many Jewish people who responded positively. But remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Um, I can't quote the verse. Maybe somebody else can help me here. But uh, you err because you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. I mean, have that reference. John 5, okay, could be. And um, what the nation of Israel, many of them experienced was the same thing that we all can experience. And that is our sinfulness can keep us from seeing what is very straightforwardly taught in the scriptures. We don't want to, we don't want to buy it. We don't want to believe it. And we can do the same thing with the New Testament that many Jewish people did in the Old Testament. So we're all the same, and that is our sin can blind us to the truth of God's word. And so I think that's the answer for why many did not respond. But it's also important to keep in mind that many did, like Nicodemus also, for example, and, and go on down the list. So thank you for your question. Okay, we should probably stop with questions. So I want to ask the question, what does this mean for us to wrap this up here? I want you to see that just just this issue of prophecy is massive. This is huge evidence for the fact that we are dealing here with God working in the world, having prophets prophesy, and then 750 years later, having specific detailed prophecies be fulfilled. This is huge evidence. And so I I want to persuade you that you have all the evidence that you need to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ completely. All the evidence that you need. And so turn to Jesus Christ with your sin and your guilt before God. Turn to him. Trust him to forgive you. He will. Trust him to change you. He will. Trust him to satisfy your heart with his presence. He will. 
So turn to Jesus and trust him to take care of your sin. Also, some of you I mentioned at the very beginning, I'm sure are dealing with burdens and worries and trials and fears and difficulties. Take your worries and your difficulties and your trials and your fears. Take them and give them to Jesus Christ right now. Trust his authority to work. Trust his mercy to work in those circumstances. Trust him to give you the wisdom that you need, the financial provision that you need, the strength that you need, the forgiveness that you need, whatever you need. Trust him to take care of you. He will totally take care of you in terms of whatever trials, fears, difficulties you're facing. And then let's also bring to the Lord our heart emptinesses, our lonelinesses, our longings, our disappointments, and and come before the Lord Jesus. Because as we do that and look to him, he and his love and his presence, he's here right now by the Holy Spirit, he will come and completely satisfy your heart with himself. His glory, His nearness, His love, His felt and experienced presence will completely satisfy you. And then let's come and we'll join the wise men in worshiping Him. Here's verse 9, 10, and 11. Matthew, after listening to the king, they went on their way, this is the wise men, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That is some joy, right? Exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshipped him. Let's join the wise men. Oh, come let us adore him. We give you thanks. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to come, humbling yourself to be born as a baby, to grow up, to be one of us, fully God, fully man, to teach us, to show us your glory, and to die for our sins and to rise from the dead so we could be saved, we could be forgiven. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your great love in sending your Son. And thank you, Jesus, for coming. We adore you. We come and we adore you. Christ the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.